You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. Hey, Genesis 1 is where we're going. So if you want to turn there, we are actually getting into Genesis. Like, this is exciting. We've been telling you about this for a while. We're going into Genesis. But before um, we start there, I just want to know just a word about human beings for a minute. Uh, we're a little bit strange creatures, and I'll include myself in that list. But I just want to take you to three places where I think just proves the point. So we'll go to Starbucks, the Super Bowl, and Valentine's Day. So um, my favorite coffee shop in all the world is Schaefer's. I love it. I go there. But the, the problem is I go there. It's the best coffee. But I can't get work done because everybody like says hi to me and we talk. And it's like, it's just, it's when I want to be social, I go there. But every once in a while, I'll go to Starbucks when I just need to hide and get work done. That was like Thursday. I'm going to hide. I'm going to type on the sermon. So I'm in Star. I don't know if you've been to Starbucks in a while, but it's just interesting. So I go to Starbucks. And so I'm there. I pull up my computer. I've got my vanilla latte, which I don't really need. It's not like this is sustaining my life. But so I paid $7 for a vanilla latte, put it on my desk, open it up. And then I'm, I'm in public, right? But I want to be private. So I put on noise canceling headphones, like the big Bose one. So everybody knows like don't talk to me because I want to be alone, though I'm in public, which is kind of a strange thing. So I'm listening to classical music, Bach, on my headphones, which is kind of strange anyways, in the coffee shop, typing away. And I'm just watching, too, as people walk in. Like, there's one guy who seems to be like a, like a wandering traveler. He has this huge bag, sets it down. He paces a lot. So I'm kind of just watching, like, hey. We're cool. You good? The guy beside him brings a whole canvas out and puts it out and is painting this like just beautiful picture. So he's like, just, hey, that's cool. If you want to come paint in Starbucks, that's awesome. And then just like the people coming in and out, it's always like just an eclectic group of people. And all of it's kind of like, you know, these individuals who also want to be together and belong in a certain way and share something in common. I mean, here I'm a guy who wants to be alone, but I want to be in public. And so I got my headphones on, but I'm, I want to see you. And so it's this idea of, man, we really do have this longing to belong and also be like individuals. And part of that is to to be human. And so just go to a Starbucks and just ask the question, are humans a little different than like every other like animal that I see on the planet? There's not many animals going to Starbucks and doing the things we do. Then we'll go to the Super Bowl. So tonight we're going to do a very normal thing. Like it's going to be the most normal thing. We're going to probably go to a buddy's house, friend's house. And we're going to eat food, and we're going to watch together on a television screen guys in costumes trying to get a ball from one side of a field to another, and we're going to lose our minds. Like, we're going to cheer as though life depended on if the guy scores a touchdown or not, and it's completely normal. But if you just back up, like if you're an alien creature coming to our planet, you're like, what are they doing? Oh, they're watching this guy take the ball across this line. They all are watching that? They all are loving that? Yep. And they're paying a whole lot of money in ad revenue for all the people that are also watching this. So so why, why will most of us do that tonight? Well, it's because we love glory. Like, we love it. Like the Murray State game yesterday, like when they hit the winning, it's like, ah, we love glory, right? Like, it is the thing because we're made as creation, we're made to worship God. It's just part of, we can't escape it. We have to have glory. And then this week is Valentine's Day. 
where uh, those of us who have a significant other or hope to have one that we like have our eye on, we're going to get them something special to say, hey, I love you. We're going to maybe go out and buy diamonds or a card or a homemade something or go on a trip, do something because, hey, I want to show you that I love you. And I just want to walk through like no other being on the planet that breathes air is going to Starbucks, watching the Super Bowl and celebrating Valentine's Day, except for us, human beings. And so not only are we a little odd, we're very unique. We are unique among every other thing that breathes air on the planet. And I don't think it's explainable just by we're more evolved than everything else. I think there's something deeper. And not only are we peculiar, but you know what we also do? We also ask questions. We can't help it. We can't help but ask questions and tell stories. We ask questions like, how did we get here? Your dog doesn't ask that. Like, little Sebastian doesn't care. We have... These different things of like, who, who am I? What, what is the meaning of the world? Why is it all broken? Where is it all going? Is there any hope? We ask these very philosophical questions, and we want answers, and we build stories around these questions because we have to have them to thrive and to have meaning and to survive. It's just part of who we are. And one of the most fundamental questions we can ask is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Like, very basic like if you have a non-believing friend, maybe an atheist, just ask them that question. Why is there something rather than nothing? It's a question that a secular world can't give an answer for. There is no answer of why there is something rather than nothing. You've probably heard the quote by Carl Sagan who says, the cosmos is all there is or has been or will be. It's just like, just, it's just here and it's all there ever was, all there will be. And so one degree that's very comforting because, you know, if this is all there is, then I can do whatever I want because there's no consequences, there's no afterlife. It just is what it is. But it's also very depressing because if this is all there is, guess what? Your life does not matter. Like you can make it matter, you can make believe that your life matters, but if the universe is all there is, all there ever will be, it, it, your life, in a sense, does not matter in reality because it's just here and then it's going to be gone and that's all there is. And what I want to see this morning is that the Bible gives a very different answer to why there is something rather than nothing and how we all got here. And the answer is God created the heavens and the earth. That we have a creator. We have God who is our creator and that gives us value, meaning, significant. All those questions of our deepest longings get answered and we see that phrase, in the beginning God created. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis 1 where we see the answer to one of our most fundamental questions. And if you have your Bibles, you can stand. If not, the words will be on the screen. But I want to read just the first verse of Genesis as we think about starting Genesis off. Here's what we see, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that you are creator, and that means you're also Lord, and that our only response is to worship you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So kind of the big point, God made all things, so all things should worship God. Like, big idea. God made all things, so all things should worship God. God. Before we get into Genesis 1-1, I want to ask a question, why Genesis? Why are we going through Genesis? Well, first of all, Genesis is a really awesome book. Like, I don't know if you've read it lately, but it is, it's, it's 
unbelievable. I love it. It's an adventure that we're all going to go through together. Um, I want to read what Derek Kidner says about Genesis. He says this, Genesis, in various ways, is almost nearer to the New Testament than the Old, and some of its topics are barely heard again till their implications can fully emerge in the gospel. The institution of marriage, the fall of man, the jealousy of Cain, the judgment of the flood, the imputed righteousness of the believer, the rival sons of promise and of the flesh, the profanity of Esau, the pilgrim status of God's people— are all predominantly New Testament themes. Finally, there is a symmetry by which some of the very schemes, uh, scenes, and figures from the earliest chapters reappear in the book of Revelation, where Babel or Babylon and the ancient serpent, the deceiver of the world, come to their downfall, and the redeemed, though they are now veterans rather than untried innocents, walk again in paradise by the river and the tree of life. So, so Genesis, what's really cool about Genesis is so much of the gospel, so much of the New Testament is a fulfillment of Genesis. So we're going to constantly chase down, here's something that happened in Genesis, here's where it finds its yes and amen in Jesus. So Genesis is going to be a ride, and we hope that you'll stick around. Number two, Genesis answers our most fundamental questions. It just does like all those questions that we just ask. How do we get here? Why are we here? What's broken? Who am I? What does it mean to be human? Who is God? What is salvation? All of these questions that we ask, is there hope? Where is it going? Every one of them get answered in the book of Genesis. The third reason is, is Genesis is the beginning of all things. So that's why we call it the beginning of everything. So think about in Genesis, so much of what we know gets its beginning. So we find we're introduced to God first in Genesis. In Genesis, we get the beginning of the heavens and the earth, the beginning of man, the beginning of sin, the beginning of redemption, the beginning of the people of Israel, the beginning of God's plan to redeem the whole world for his namesake. All these beginnings take place in Genesis. So Genesis, more than likely written by Moses, most scholars will say, and I, I agree with that, uh, around 1400 BC, which puts it about 3,500 years ago. Moses writing this probably to the Israelites who have came out of the Exodus. So they've just gone out of Exodus. Now he's writing to remind them of how they got here and who they are and what it means to be human and all those things in the world that they are living in. So it's a very old book, but it's a very modern book. It answers all the things that we are asking even today. So as we think about in the beginning, I want us first just think about just the first four words. In the beginning, God. We're going to start there. And I love what Paul Tripp, he says, I'm persuaded that the first four words of the Bible are the most important because they lay the foundation for everything else the Bible is about. So the most important words in the Bible, in the beginning, God. Because that sets up everything else. If that's not true, if God is not in the beginning and God doesn't create all things in the beginning, then nothing else of the Bible really matters. If God is in the very beginning, if he is introduced as the main character, then the whole rest of the Bible fits together. And here's what you need to know about those first four words. It's not just telling us that God is the origin of all things. It's saying he is the center of all things. That he's the most important. Like, just notice, the Bible is written, and it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, man, or in the beginning, angels, or in the beginning, something else. It's telling you who the main character of the Bible is, and the main character is God. 
So here's what I want us to all agree to this morning. The Bible is ultimately about God, not you. I know that's shocking because we're Americans and everything's about us, right? No, it's not. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about God. He is the main subject. He is the, he is the star. If you think about a play, like a play has actors and a play has a plot line. A play has scenes. We're going to walk through the Bible and see a lot of scenes and a lot of people, a lot of characters, a lot of time. But in all of this, there is a star to every play. Like the person that comes out at the very end and takes a bow, the whole thing's about that person. God is that being. He's the one that the whole Bible is about. And your story is just one scene in that huge play, which is a story of God. So God is first, God is center, God is most important, and he's the most important in your life, or he should be. See, your life has to revolve around something. You have to have something that centers your life that you revolve around. And if it's not God, it's an idol, and idols will always let you down. So in the beginning, God. When it comes to your life, my life, God. Like, that's the most important, that's the center, that's what makes everything else make sense. So we see that God is first. God is the most important. Everything starts with, in the beginning, God. Those first four words. So now we're going to look at that phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to pull it apart. So the first thing we're going to see is that phrase, in the beginning. So in the beginning, first of all, it shows that there was a beginning. We'll get to that in just a moment. But have you ever missed the beginning of something? Like maybe you missed the beginning of a movie, the beginning of a game, the beginning of your job interview. Like you missed the beginning of something and it puts you back. Has anybody ever done that before? I remember my first day of seminary, like my first class of my seminary career, I go to Jackson, Tennessee. I've got Dr. Ware as my professor. I go into class. I get there early. I pull up my laptop. I'm so excited. Systematic Theology 1. I'm ready, ready to take notes. I'm going to get the syllabus. He's going to explain who he is, where we're going. He walks in. He doesn't introduce himself. He just puts his notes down, and he just starts lecturing and I have no idea what's going on. I'm trying to like get my book. I'm trying to thumb through it. I'm looking at my Bible. I'm trying to figure out where we are. And he is gone. I'm trying to type. I can't even spell the words he's saying. I'm like, this is not going. I begin to sweat. I'm looking around like, why is everybody else like taking notes? Like everything is, is fine and everything is good. And finally I look over and I'm like, where are we? I'm like, it's on your syllabus page. I'm like, what syllabus? He's like the one we got last week. I'm like last week, what are you talking about? Yeah, class started last week. You weren't here. See, what I didn't realize is I thought day one was today, but day one was actually a week ago. And it's not a one-hour class. It's a three-hour class. So I'm now four hours behind. And I missed everything. I don't have a syllabus. I don't know where we're at. I don't have the right books. I'm completely confused on what's going on. And it took me a while to get caught up. See, you can't miss the beginning of the Bible or you're going to be lost. You're going to be frustrated because you're living in a world that is broken and you're going to be so frustrated with God because you're living in a broken world. And you forget that, oh wait, God created the world good and perfect in the beginning. We are the ones that broke it. And so when you deal with sin and tragedy and drama and all of the brokenness around you, don't ask, God, why did you make the world like this? He says, I didn't. It's been broken, but I'm still here with you. And I promise to remake it all brand new where there's no more sin. 
So don't miss the beginning. The beginning is good. God's good beginning, as we're going to see over the next few weeks. So the idea of a beginning would have been strange to the culture the Israelites found themselves in just after the Exodus. Because to the Near Eastern culture, they would have believed the world is eternal. And the world got here through different gods, fighting over different gods, and body parts of different gods coming and being different parts. And so the world's always been, it's eternal. And this was a very common view sort of all the way through. I think Aristotle, Plato, they argue that the world is eternal. It's always been here. So there's no need to explain it. Well, then in about the 20th century, science began to prove the world actually has a beginning. It's not eternal, which wasn't really good news to scientists because that's sort of like, a, uh-oh, if the world's not eternal and the world has a beginning, then we've got to explain what in the world caused this beginning. And you can probably uh, think about how does a secular uh, atheistic worldview say, okay, the world had a beginning. How do we explain that? It comes from the Big Bang. So at some point in time, there was a Big Bang and everything came into existence. And then from that Big Bang, through the process of Darwinian evolution, here we are. We go to Starbucks, we watch the Super Bowl, and we do Valentine's Day. It's all very explainable. And the, the problem is, is, okay, if you have a beginning, then it makes very logical sense that something had to start that beginning. That if, if before that beginning there was not time, space, and matter, if all that came into existence, then something had to be before that that caused that. And that's still of much debate. What is before the Big Bang? Most say, we just don't know. Here's what we know. We'll go from there. But it's, it's a lot of... Um, hearsay, and we're really not sure. I read a Forbes article uh, this week, this was in 2021, by an astrophysicist. Here's what he says. The Big Bang wasn't the beginning of time and space, and cosmic inflation, which preceded it, cannot be the beginning either. So he's arguing cosmic inflation started the Big Bang. So yeah, like, not God, that's too crazy. It was cosmic inflation, And there's all these charts for cosmic inflation. This is not like a joke. This is like real, okay? So it wasn't cosmic inflation, can't be explained either, unless it went on for an eternity. After a century of cosmic revolutions, we're right back to where we started, unable to answer the most basic fundamental question we can ask. How did it all begin? So here's a PhD astrophysicist saying, hey, we're studying it. We're trying to figure it out. We're kind of back where we were. We know the world began, but we really have no idea how it began. And here we are sitting in a room saying, I'm in the beginning, God. And so just think about for a moment, this is um, Jimmy Slack first kind of showed this reasoning. I thought it was really good. So if you think about, okay, for something to have started, uh, let's say the Big Bang. Let's just concede, okay, there was a Big Bang, there was an explosion, everything came into existence. So for something to have made space, time, and matter, that being, that cause would have to be, well, first of all, outside of time, because that being created time. So that being would have to be, well, not bound to time. What would that be? An eternal being, okay? And if the being brought into space matter, then that being couldn't be of space and matter. It couldn't be a material being. It would have to be of non-material. What else do we call that? Spirit. So if 
the Big Bang happened, the thing before that would have had to have been eternal and spirit. Well, let me introduce you to, in the beginning, God. Guess what God is? Eternal and God is spirit. And not only do we have to have those things, but whatever caused that explosion of everything coming to existence, that being would have to be very intelligent and very powerful. Again, welcome to God. In the beginning, God, who is eternal spirit, who is powerful and wise and, and can create everything that we see. Sounds like a let there be light and boom, guess what? That sounds like a big bang, right? Here we go, here it all is. So what the 20th century has shown us is the world has a beginning. That would have been news to them, but what science is showing is what the Bible actually says. There was a beginning. Now we can argue a whole lot about what that looked like, but here's what we do know is the world had a beginning and the Bible matches that. The Bible says in the beginning, God. So now let's talk about God for a minute because in the beginning, God created. God created. Now that word created, it's the Hebrew word bara. And according to Michael Cohen, uh, what that means is it's the only uh, verb, this verb is only used to talk about God, never a human subject. In other words, humans can't bara. Humans can't create, as the Latin says, ex nihilo, out of nothing. This is only something God can do. So God bara, he created everything out of nothing, something that we can't do. See, we, we create. We're creative. You're going to create all this week. You're going to create lunch. You're going to create an outfit. You're going to create something for work. Um, I actually created that slide. Does it look good? It says God created. That's pretty cool, right? That was me creating the slide that says God created. But you know how I created that slide? I just said, boom, slide, and it was there. None of you believe that, right? Uh, I, no, I had to use tools. And so truth be told, um, the slide actually first started as a graphic made by Virginia Cruz, who's here, because she's awesome with graphics, much better than I am. So it started with a base design that I opened up on my computer, and I got her design, and I took out the words she had, and I put in the words I needed to use this point, which is God created. And I used the internet to share it with the team, and I'm, using, I'm typing like words like God created. So I'm making something, I'm creating something, but I'm using something to create something. That's how all of us create. Here's the distinction with God. God didn't use something to create everything. He created everything out of nothing. Like he's bringing into existence things that are not. And he does it by speaking words. He says, let there be and there was, as we're going to see next week. He is our creator. He is the only one who creates and can create the heavens and the earth out of absolutely nothing. He didn't have pre-existing tools. He didn't have to defeat some God somewhere and from his body make the world. No, there was nothing but God. And then God said, and then everything came in to being. And it's, it's interesting in the Bible that Genesis starts out with in the beginning God, and it doesn't tell us who God is. It doesn't say in the beginning God, who's holy, 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 good, loving, just, merciful, kind. It doesn't give us a list of God's attributes. It just simply says God created. That's the first thing we know about God. Not who he is, but what he did. That he created 
all things, which is very significant because what that means, if God is creator, it means that he is Lord. Like if God is creator, here's the implications. That means God is Lord. That means he owns it. He rules over it. That means he owns you and he rules over you. He has authority. He can tell you what to do. And guess what? We don't like the reality that God is Lord. We want to be our own Lord. We want to create our own destiny. We want to build our own stories. We want to do what we want. But yet, God as creator means he is different than us. So think about God as creator. Everything else is creation. So there is a chasm between God and his creation. Like God is present in his creation. It's not deism. He didn't create it and then walk away. He is present. He is imminent with us and in us. But he is distinct from us. He is not creation and creation is not God. It's not Avatar. We're not on Pandora. We hook up to a tree. He's not creation, but he's, he's present in his creation. He rules over it. He's authority over it because he is the Lord. And you think about God as creator, it means that he is independent of all things. And he is the only one who's independent. You're like, well, I thought I was independent. Didn't we have like a declaration or something? You're not. We are all dependent on God. All of us. Every one of us. Even as Americans, guess what? We are not independent of God. We are dependent on our, our very life is dependent on him. See, I love how A.W. Tozer says, need, it's only a creature word. It can't ever be said about God. See, God doesn't need anything. You can't give him anything that he needs. He's not thirsty, he's not hungry. Guess what? You as a creature, you are very needy. You need food, water, and Netflix. Like you have to have those things to survive, right? We are needy people. We're, we have needs. We have to breathe. We have to sleep. We have to. God needs none of those things. He's not needy. Why? Because he's the independent creator. Everything else exists from him. Everything is dependent on him. That's why he's very different than you. That's why he's holy, 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 set apart. There's a chasm between you and God. You're not just peas in a pod. He's very different than you. But he loves you. And he's with you. So God is creator. There's a chasm between. He is independent. We are very dependent. And so the logic is, if God is creator, he is Lord. I mean, just listen to Nehemiah 9.6. It says this. You are the Lord, you alone. Well, why is God the Lord and why is it only him that is Lord? Because you have made heaven and the heavens of heaven with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and your presence, all of them, and you preserve all them, and the host of heaven worships you. So because you made everything, you're Lord of everything means God gets to set the rules. God is the authority. God gets to say, this is right and this is wrong, and we say, okay. And I'll say, well, I think, well, you didn't make the thing. Like, when you make something, you get to own it and set the rules for it. Like, whoever made pickleball, I get to make the crazy rules to it, right? I'm just playing it. Like, why'd I have to do, I don't know. The guy said, okay, we'll just play like this. Because some guy or girl made pickleball, and they get to tell how it's played. And you can't just be like, well, I'll just do whatever I want. The other person will get mad at you, right? So whoever makes the thing gets to set the rules. Guess what? God made the thing. He made you, so he gets to set the rules. He gets to tell you how to live. He gets to tell you what to do. And you get to say, 
amen, and I'll go do that. So see that God is Lord. That's what creation means. I, I think it's Gentry who says like the whole Testament, there's one big point. God is creator, which means he's Lord, which means he rules over you. He rules over me. We don't get to argue that. That's not subjective. God made it all. John Frame uh, says it like this. The chief name of God in scripture is Yahweh, which English translators render as Lord around 7,000 times. God's lordship includes his control over all things, his authority over the universe, and his presence in every part of creation. God's work of creation underscores his lordship in all three of these respects. So God is Lord. Yahweh is Lord, which means, as John Frame says, he's in control, he has authority, and his presence is everywhere. He is Lord. He is sovereign. And why do we know that? Because he created it all. When you're the creator, you get to set the rules. And here, I think, is the real draw to secularism. Like, we have a culture that is very much pursuing, becoming more secular by the moment. I think the real draw to secularism is if we get rid of God, we get rid of the authority. We get rid of the rules. We get to do whatever we want. We get to be whoever we want to be. I mean, as I'm typing this out, there's a, a Starbucks commercial about wanting to, for you to join the team, and it says, because we champion your most authentic self. Imagine if you told your great-granddad, hey, granddad, be your most authentic self. He'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm going to go chop wood. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what does that even mean to be your most authentic? Well, we know what it means. It means that you are the authority, you are your creator, Lord God, and just do whatever you want, whatever you desire, do it, and then you'll be your most authentic self. I have news, your most authentic self is what God says about you. How he made you is your most authentic self, and until you find your identity in that, you're going to wonder and grope at something that is a facade. And man, we see it all over. That the reality is, man, God is Lord. God defines us. God is Lord because he made everything and he made you. So we see that God is first, he's center, and he is the most important in the whole story. In the beginning, God. So there was a beginning. In the beginning, God created. So then now what did he create? He created the heavens and the earth. Now this is like thesis statement. Next week we're going to deal with, okay, now we're going to go to the earth and we're going to see kind of how God did this. But now we're just talking broad, broad strokes. Here's what God created, the heavens and the earth. What does that include? It includes everything. It's a way in language to say, here are two opposites that are explaining everything. Like we use this in marriage. We promise to love each other for richer or for poorer. That doesn't mean if we're middle class, I can leave. Like, where's kind of okay? I'm out. Like, not rich or not poor. So I'm, no, it means everything. Like, no matter what your financial statement is, right? For sicker, or, like, it means whatever happens. That's what heavens and earth means. Hebrew doesn't have a word for um, the universe or the cosmos. So heaven and earth, it's saying everything. That God is the Lord of heaven and earth, as we just sang. 
that he created everything, everything that we see, everything that we touch, God made and God created, which would be very big news to the exiles walking out of Egypt, trying to wander along the promised land, because what they would maybe assume is they have a tribal God just like everybody else. The Egyptians have gods, and everybody we come to has gods. We have a tribal God. His name is Yahweh. And Moses is writing to say, we don't have a tribal God. We have the king of the cosmos. We have the creator God who is God over all the gods. He is the only God. He is the one that's not just ruling over us. He's ruling over the Egyptians. He's ruling over the pharaohs. He's ruling over everyone and everywhere. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is the Lord who alone deserves our worship. It's also news to our college students because they're constantly told, hey, there, there is no God who created it. It happened. There, there was a bang and now there's evolution and you're just here and, and, and there's no real reality. There's no real truth. And so we have a proposition that we're offering in a culture that often rejects propositional truth. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is why we are people of faith who are believing by faith that God created the heavens and the earth. It is interesting in God created, God Elohim, that's plural, created, that's singular, the heavens and the earth. So you have plural God who creates singular So why would you use a singular about a plural God? So some will say the plurality that is mentioned about God, it's his majesty. You can't just speak of God as one because he's so majestic. But what's more than likely happening is what John picks up in John chapter 1 is we are getting the seeds of what we know, which is what? The Trinity. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even in the beginning, you have God, you have the Spirit hovering over the waters, and God says by his word, let there be. So you have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even in the opening pages of Genesis. John, with commentary, will say this, uh, John 1.1. In the beginning, now what's every Jewish person expecting John to say? They know the book. They know Genesis. In the beginning, God, he says, in the beginning was the Word. So he's already showing, okay, the Word is God, just in case you missed the subtlety. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now he's bringing it in the beginning, there was the Word. Who is the Word? Well, in verse 18, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Word, the eternal Son from the Father. And we see that he was there in creation. And not only that, but listen in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So now we see that in the New Testament, Jesus is our creator God. He's not just a carpenter who builds houses. He's God who creates the cosmos. He's not just like a good guy who has some good rules, and if you follow him, that's cool, but if you don't, that's cool too. No, he is the God of the universe. He is Lord who made you and who you are made for. So the only response is to believe and to follow after him. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 also shows that Jesus is also our creator, God. So the question for us is, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Do you really believe that the Lord Jesus created all that you see and all that you are and that you belong to him and that your life lived to 
flourishing is found in him and him alone, that your identity needs to be wrapped up in Jesus. Do you honestly believe that and do you honestly live that? Because in one sense, we can like look and reason, and it does make the best sense that God made the world. Something had to make it, and if we look at the God of the Bible, it definitely matches with, with science and theory. Yeah, it seems like God is the most logical explanation, but also we have a moment of faith that nobody just reasons themselves into the kingdom of God. Notice what uh, Hebrews eleven three says. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So ultimately, it's a faith step. Guess what? You can't go back there. Like, we can't redo the process. We can't, like, make another creation and see if we got our models right. At the end of the day, you have to, well, with reason and thought, but you have to have a leap of faith to say, okay, either nothing made everything or God made everything. And if nothing made everything, nothing matters. If God made everything, then everything matters. But it matters in Him, and it matters under Him, and it matters in following Him. So if you are a person that by faith believe God created the world, then your step should match your faith, and now you're living out the reality that God made the world. You're not just saying it, you're living it. So what does creation tell us about God? Let's kind of summarize what we think about um, God. So number one, uh, that God is Lord. That's what creation tells us. We just went through that. God is Lord. Like, he made it. Like, yesterday, last night, the boys had a dispute over the PlayStation. One of the boys comes down on my chair typing, and they get, Dad. Hey, Dad, this happened. We need you to come up here and settle it. So I walk up there. I survey the situation. And then I declare what's going to happen. One boy hated it. One boy loved it. But guess what? Dad's in charge because Dad owns the house right? It's not like a democracy, like, well, let's all take a vote. No, I win. I pay for it. It's mine. I can pull the plug, turn off electricity. God owns it all. So he's Lord of it all. He sets the rules. He is the authority. So by creation, it means that God is Lord. It also means he's creator, which means he is way different than you and me. He's the creator of the world. It also means he's powerful. I mean, just imagine Romans 1 tells us we can see God's power by looking out at creation. Not just powerful, but he's wise and glorious. Just go for a hike today. Just walk through the woods and process like if something made this, is he pretty glorious and grand and wise? And your answer will be yes. And we see God all in the way he made the world. He's also personal. He speaks creation into existence, as we're going to talk about next week. And he's also good. He made the world good. And you're saying, I don't know, the world's pretty broken. Well, that's chapter three. Chapter one, he made the world good. So all those things are true because of creation. But also some things are true about us. Number one, we should obey God. Like if God is creator, we should obey him. The most obvious response, if you made me and own me and you set the rules, I should obey you. The problem is we disobey. That's where the cross is. That's why you come to Jesus and repent and believe. And then he will give you the ability to say yes to God's good commands. But just very basic, we should be people that obey God. We should be people that read the Bible and say yes, when even we don't want to, we obey the word of God. Secondly, we should thank God. I mean, Romans 1, the sin is not being thankful for a God who created all the world, but instead to worship idols. We should be thankful to God. Think about when you pray over a meal. 
What are you saying? God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for today. You're thanking God because he's the creator and the sustainer of your whole life. So we should be thankful to God. It's also about worship. We should worship the Lord. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will that existed and were created. So because God made it, we should worship him. Like actually full on loving God, worshiping God. That does include singing with passion. That also includes laying our lives down as a living sacrifice to God as our spiritual worship. Like every day we choose to worship by how we live our lives, which brings us to the last application. Live for God. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, everyone who is called by my name, who I formed for my glory, who I formed and made. He's talking about his people. Hey, all those that I called into a relationship with me, it means I formed you and I made you. And the reason I formed you and made you, it's for my glory. It's not so you live a great life. It's so that you would glorify me and worship me and live for me. So if God is creator, it changes the way we work this week. Because we're working to God's glory. It changes the way we're husbands this week. We're husbands to God's glory. We're wives to God's glory. We're children to God's glory. Everything that we do, we do it for the glory of God. See, our life isn't meaningless and pointless. It has so much meaning because we're formed and made for God's glory. That we get to obey God, thank God, worship God, and live for God. And so what we're going to do now is just to get to practice one of those. We're going to worship God. I'm going to invite the band to come back out. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing one more song of worship. Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth. And I know when you first came in here, you probably weren't thinking about a lot of things. You've had 45 minutes to hear God is creator. So if we stand up and yawn, I think we missed it. If we stand up and really unsure why we're singing, I think we've missed all of it. That, that what the point of Genesis 1 is God is creator. Therefore, he made you and he made me. And therefore, we should, we should worship him. See, God is creator doesn't only tell a true story. It tells a better story. It gives us a better reason for our life that we're made for God and we get to enjoy God forever. And it's not just a story about God as our creator. It's about a story of God, our redeemer, because we fall, but there's a cross and an empty tomb that brings us back to God and gives us hope of a new creation coming. Like that's where this thing is going. God, the creator who remakes us and remakes his creation so that we can live with him forever. So I think we should worship God of heaven and earth. So if you'd stand with me, I'm going to pray. And let's sing this last song like we mean it. Father, we love you. You are the creator and Lord. Let us sing like we mean that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.